I have to admit that I chose this movie this morning, the movie of Ray Charles, out of a purely selfish motive. I love the music of Ray Charles. There's something about it that just brings me to life, makes me happy, and it's been this way since I've been a kid. Uh, growing up in Northern Virginia, my father, who's on the screen, uh, always worked outside with his hands. He never came to church. He never wanted to come to church, so this was my way of getting him here. He, every Saturday and Sunday, he was a plumber, an electrician, a roofer, a general contractor. He did anything and everything he could. And I followed him around endlessly in the yard. And whether it was the smell of fresh-cut grass, the aroma of homegrown tomatoes, mulch in the garden, whatever it was, I viewed him as successful because he could do anything. He was an amazing man in my eyes, even though he dropped out of high school at ninth grade. He grew to become somebody that could do anything. And that's what I learned, was this image of success from him, that he could do anything. And where Ray Charles fits into this is because in the mid-80s and through the 90s, every Saturday and Sunday, he would have music playing as he worked in the yard. And as a kid, I thought this music reached the whole neighborhood. And mainly because it seemed embarrassing to me at the moment, 88.5 FM was what he played every weekend. You may know that as a talk radio station, but in the 80s and 90s, it played music on Saturdays and Sundays, almost nonstop, and it ranged from the 30s to the 60s. So we had Americana, we had folk, we had bluegrass, which was my dad's personal favorite, and any time it was on, it was as loud as could be, and I'm sure the neighborhood loved us. <laughs> but for some reason, I love it too now, and this is my public confession of that. Um, but it reminds me of this good time, and so it went from bluegrass to jazz to orchestra, eventually reaching the 60s with soul and R&B, and that was my first experience of Ray Charles, was growing up as a kid in Northern Virginia, following my dad around the yard, wanting to be just like him. So I chose this movie out of selfish reasons this morning, but I think there's something incredibly valuable in it that we can pull from Ray Charles' life. Um, Rolling Stones magazine, the year Ray died... Uh, published this, said, Ray has virtually invented soul music by bringing together the fervor of gospel, the secular lyrics and, and narratives of blues and country, the big band arrangement of jazz, and the rhythm and improvisational possibilities of them all. So Ray kind of encaptured everything that I grew up with, which is one reason why I desperately love it, and Ray is that all-American success story. Growing up as a poor black man in North Florida, Greenville, Florida, he was born in, Al in uh, Alabama, Georgia, Georgia. And grew up in Northern Florida to a single mother. He lost his brother in a drowning incident when he was five. He went blind through glaucoma when he was six, but learned to overcome all those obstacles. And so I want to start with a clip of one of his obstacles, this very early period of his life, that'll set the stage for us. That is one tough mama. To deal with her six-year-old that way without holding back. And I think Ray's response really typifies just his character overall, his grit, his power at six years old to overcome that and to listen to what his mom has to say despite the overwhelming circumstances. And this is the picture that many of us have grown up with. This idea that in the world we have to do it ourselves. She says the doctors can't help us. We have to do it ourselves. First time, I'll show you something. The second time, I'll help you. 
the third time you're on your own because that's the way it is in the real world. That's a story we're familiar with. That's the way it is on the real world. We have to look out for ourselves. We have to stand up on our own. Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers talks about this view of success. It says, in autobiographies published every year by the billionaire, the entrepreneur, the rock star, the celebrity, the storyline is always the same. Our hero is born in modest circumstances and by virtue of his own grit and talent, fights his way to greatness. So our equation this morning that we're going to be looking at is talent plus grit equals success. That's the story that we've learned. That's the story that we know. That's the story that resonates is that talent plus grit equals success. And this ability, this skill of Ray Charles demonstrates that because he sets himself up for success and begins to rely on himself. This second clip will show you his ability to do that. you got to learn pretty quick if you want to get around on your own. And that's true of most of us. In order not to be taken advantage of, in order to make it somewhere in life, we have to learn pretty quick to be on our own. That's the story that we have. And Ray becomes incredibly confident in his skills. He picked up on the shoes, on the sounds that he learned. He made a way for himself to stand on his own. He became very confident in his success, so much so that he needed no one. I want to share a little bit about uh, my relationship with my wife. Uh, You guys are a captive audience, so I'm going to take this moment to talk about how good of a husband I am. (laughs) How successful I am. We're talking about success this morning. And I've had many classes about marriage. I work very hard at my marriage, so I want to take a few moments to talk about that. So... In our marriage, we've been married almost eight years. I do a lot of things for her. And I took a couple minutes this past week to think of a few of those things. And in the 10 minutes that I thought about them, I came to about 20 or 30 things over the past week that I'd done for her. And so I'm only going to share a couple of you, a couple of them with you. If you want the full list, I put them on our website. Sorry, John and Derek. They are on our website, front page, 20 or 30 things I've done just in the past week, week and a half. So the first one that I'll share is we're expecting a baby the first week of August. Hallelujah. But we have a 1950s home. And so this required me stripping down several layers of paint, repainting, replacing the molding, the baseboard. I did this all for her. Every week I mow the lawn. I take out the trash without her asking. We were on vacation at the beach and several times... I got up during the day and got refilled her bottle of water so she never had to leave the beach chair. That's love. <laughs> I put sunscreen lotion on her back. Being pregnant, it's kind of hard to get back there sometimes, so I was there for her. I apologize often and frequently. <laughs> the other day, I could tell she was stressed, and so I asked her what was going on. I asked her how she was doing, what she was feeling. And men, women... I refused the temptation to try to fix it. I listened. These are just a couple of things that make me so great. And I really thought that I was doing so well in this area of marriage. And it's very natural for us to get into that mindset. This is called, in sociological terms, the availability heuristic. The availability heuristic. Because we can think of things quickly, things come to our mind very fast, we often overestimate how frequently they occur. 
We often overestimate the contribution that we make. So scientists did a study of all these couples, and each person in the relationship thought they contributed more to the relationship than the other person, because they could think more easily of what they did. It's like hearing of a plane wreck, and then two weeks later, hearing of another plane wreck, and all of a sudden in our mind we're thinking, "Oh man, planes go down all the time." Just because we can think of a couple instances, we think they're more frequent than they are, and that's what I had done with my life and my marriage. Is I can focus all on what I do and the success that I have in my relationship, and overestimate what I contribute. So if you see her in the hallway, tell her how lucky she is to be married to me. Um, my story will completely change in the second service. She's not in this service. Um, but this happens with our success also, and this is what happened with Ray Charles. He became very confident in his success, and he could think of all things that he had done to get to where he was. That he began to neglect other aspects of his life. He thought he contributed more to his success than he actually did. The reality is, this morning, that success blinds us. Success blinds us. Watch how Ray is blinded by his confidence in this clip. Ray needs his payments in one-dollar bills. Because as a blind man, he can't see the denomination on them, so he counted them out manually. And with his friends there, he refused the help. He refused the ones that he could trust for the sake of doing it on his own. He even fights a man who can see, which is quite humorous because he's also twice the size of him, a huge disadvantage. But his confidence has welled up in him so much, he thought his talent and grit were enough to get him through that he sets out on his own. This morning, without the spirit, success spoils our soul. Without the spirit, success spoils the soul. In more biblical terms, you may have heard it said this way: "What profit is a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What profit is it? Without the spirit, success spoils the soul." The last clip I want to show you—it's almost near the end of the movie, but it's really the climax of Ray's career. But it's also the climax of his emptiness. Because he has gained everything, he's gained the world, he's gained notoriety, but something else is missing. Sorry to play such a heavy clip this morning, but it's a painful reality that without the spirit we lose focus on things. Hollywood has realized this for years, so every year you will see several movies come out that highlight an individual rising to success, rising to the top of their life, the apex of their career. And then all of a sudden they have a come to God moment, and they realize, wow, I've sacrificed everything. I have the money, I have the success, but I don't have anyone in my life. Hollywood has picked up on this, but it's so easy to get lost in it ourselves. That's the risk of success. Success blinds us. The first thing that I'd pick up in this clip is that if you don't need anyone, you won't have anyone. If you don't need anyone, you won't have anyone. That's a hard reality to hear, and Ray has done this in his life because it's been all about him. It's been about his skill, his success, his talent, and he didn't need anyone. He always set out on his own, even as a blind man, and did it himself. See, I can control talent and grit. I can practice more. I can work harder. I can become who I want to be. Those are things I can control. But people, if you know anything about people, they're variables that you can't control. There are things and people that will be saying things into your life that you can't control. So the safest way to handle that and become successful, according to this 
equation is to push them away, to set up barriers, to set up walls. But as Christians, Jesus calls us to be reconcilers, to be people who reach out to those beyond ourselves, that our life is not our own, but we are living for a purpose. And that purpose, in part, is to bring healing to others. The second thing that is powerful in this clip is that if you don't need God, you won't know God. If you don't need God, you won't know God. Ray says him and God are even. He does what he pleases. And that's because his whole life, he's never given room for God to actually work. He's relied solely on his skill, his talent, and his ability. And in reality, he doesn't need anything. And that's the power that we often carry around on our backs is that I'm fully capable. I have an education. I have a grad school degree. Many of us have PhDs. I've been in military. I've taken care of my own life. I don't have a need for God. See, when our minds are closed to the need that we have, we don't actually pursue filling that need. That's why marketers and products are often trying to raise awareness of a need in your life through commercials, because once you realize you need something, you'll actually go purchase it. If you have no need for it, you'll never go for it. And that's where Ray is in his life with God. I want to demonstrate this through the history of a nation. That as this nation realizes their need, they get closer to God. They become more successful in God's eyes. They become more fulfilled in their relationship with God and with others. This nation has been around for thousands of years, and I could start more recently with the intifadas of the 1990s. I could talk about the Yom Kippur War. I could talk about the Six-Day War. I could talk about coming back to their homeland after 1,800 years of history, but I want to start at the beginning. I've got a timeline here, and it's not the normal flat timeline that you see. This, I hope, will characterize a little bit more of their relationship with God. That as that line ticks upward, you will see that they grow closer to God. And as it drops down, you'll see a corresponding reliance on their grit, on their talent. So the place that we start this morning is Abraham, the founder of the Jewish faith and our historical ancestor. He sets out from his land and God tells him to leave his family and set on a journey. The only thing that is required of him is that he relies on God, that he looks to God and that he trusts him. And so we have a small uptick. 700 years later, Israel is in Egypt and a new pharaoh comes on the scene and he begins to oppress the people, puts them in slavery, and God raises up Moses. And he says, you guys will overtake the most powerful nation on the world, Egypt. You will overtake them. And he raises up Moses, and he brings Moses to Sinai and says, the only thing that you have to do is rely on me, trust in me for this period, and I'm going to bring you into your own homeland. Forty years later, they reach Canaan, what would soon be called Israel. They have made it as a nation. In Canaan, this land, they overthrow cities, they overthrow nomadic peoples, they gain livestock, they gain gold, they build a cultural identity, they have a language of their own, they have made something of themselves, and they reside in the land for a short period until this phrase comes up in their history. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. As Israel became successful in Canaan, they began turning to their talent and grit, 
and said, okay, we've made something of ourselves. We've gotten there. But then we have a downtick because they lose something in their sight. And so we enter this period of the judges, this 300-year period, this up-and-down period, which kind of looks like my life anyway, this up-and-down of success, this up-and-down of fulfillment, my up-and-down of my relationship with God, where they go down, but every 40 years, God raises up a judge, and he delivers the people, and he brings them back to God and says, the only thing that you need is to rely on God, and so they have a small uptick in their relationship with God, that they are more fulfilled in their relationship with God and with others. But again, that repetitive phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, begin relying on themselves. And that happens for 300 years until this high point comes. And we've done a couple series on this King David. And the monarchy begins. And the powerful point of the monarchy is not just that they have kings now, it's the fact that a temple is built. So the very high point there is King Solomon who builds a temple And in the ancient Near East, if you had a temple, you could not be defeated. Because a a temple was a place where God lived. And if your God was truly God, and you had a temple and that God lived in your midst, no one could defeat you. And then you see a downturn. They thought, I have the temple, and Jeremiah 7 talks about this. They say, temple, temple, temple. It's all about the temple. We have the temple in our midst. Nothing will ever happen to us. But with the temple, with success, they lose sight of what God is doing. And they have this downturn and ups and downs and ups and downs for a long period of time until Josiah comes along in 622. It's that last upward hump. And he rededicates the temple and says, okay, the only thing that you really need is to return to God. By this point, the kingdom has divided. North Israel has fallen to Assyria in 722. Hundred years later, Josiah comes on the scene and says, guys, this will happen to us also if we don't return to God. And so they return to God. But immediately following that, the political climate becomes too much, and the kings following him make pacts with Egypt and Assyria because Babylon is rising on the scene. Babylon is becoming the new world power, and they're threatening Jerusalem. And so the kings become fearful. They lose sight of what God is doing and says, okay, It relies on my talent and grit. I need to make an agreement with a foreign nation that's stronger than I am. And they have a downturn until 587, that fateful day when the last group of Jerusalem is exiled to Babylon. The temple is destroyed. And if you have God in your temple, you can't be defeated, right? But God's presence in Ezekiel is said to move out of that temple because the people no longer needed him. They no longer wanted him there, so they suffer exile. Talent and grit became enough for Israel. They lost sight of their need for God, and so they never knew God in those periods. They lost sight of him. They had no room for him, and therefore he was pushed out. Without the Spirit, we become anxious about advancing our career. We stress about being recognized. Our wallets never seem fat enough, and our accolades never speak loud enough. Without the Spirit, success spoils the soul. Malcolm Gladwell even recognizes this in his book because his book isn't about talent and grit. It's about realizing that there's other factors that play into it. He says, in Outliers, I want to convince you that these kinds of personal explanations of success, talent and grit, don't work. They don't work. People don't rise from nothing. That is his goal of his book. He says, people don't rise from nothing. 
Ezekiel, if you want to turn your Bible, we're going to look at chapter 36 briefly. Ezekiel has said this 2,400 years before Malcolm came on the scene, and he reminds Israel, you didn't rise from nothing. Your success isn't on account of your talent and your grit. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. Ezekiel is prophesying. He's during the time of exile. So Israel is in Babylon at this point when he's talking, and Ezekiel speaks this word of hope, this word of life to them. Israel is in Babylon, and he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. I will bring you to your own land. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. A new spirit. Something happens when the spirit of God lives within us. He says, I will remove your heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, he says a second time. God will take the initiative and you will obey my statutes. Carefully observe my regulations. Then you will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. See, with every uptick in Israel's success was an uptick in their relationship with God. And when they hit rock bottom, it's because they turned on their their own self. They became self-consumed. And Ezekiel is speaking here and saying, when you become my people again, when you turn to me, and you recognize your need for me, you will live in the land that I promise you. You will fulfill the destiny that I call for. You will fulfill the plan that I have for you that is much bigger than your image of success. He says, I will call for the grain and multiply it. I will not bring famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the trees and the produce of the fields so that you never again suffer disgrace among the nations. God had a bigger plan, but it required them to rely on him. Success blinds us, but the Spirit reminds us. Ezekiel talked twice about the Spirit in their going and living within the individuals of Israel. How does the Spirit remind us? The message that stood out to Israel from the very beginning in Deuteronomy 7 was not one of talent and grit, quite the opposite. Deuteronomy 7 7 The Lord did not set his affection on you. He did not choose Israel because they were more numerous than other people. He says, for you are indeed the fewest among the people. Another passage in the Bible says you were not the wealthiest or the holiest or the more mighty among the nations. God didn't choose Israel because of what they had accomplished. He says it was because the Lord loved you. Love is nothing about talent or grit. Love is an affection, a decision that God made towards Israel that should have transformed the very nature of who they were. Without the Spirit, we become self-consumed. Without realizing our need for God, we become about us. And that's what Ezekiel is reminding us this morning. You'll never experience true life. You'll never experience the life that God has for you the place that God wants you to be in your life if you never have a need for God. You'll never come face to face with God. You'll never experience him if you never have a need for him because if you don't have a need for God, your mind is closed to him. That's why you often hear stories of finding God at people's lowest point in their life. This is not just a mere coping mechanism. That is because when they hit rock bottom, The blindness is taken away. 
They no longer think, I can handle this. They no longer think, I've got this under control. Instead, the blindness is taken away, and that need becomes present. And they say, I have a need. And God says, I'm there to fill that need. I've made a decision long ago to fill that need because I love you, because I have a purpose for you that's bigger than your self-sustaining goals. Society also sees this need around us. They see racial inequality, income disparities. They see famine and pain. But they say we need to empower individuals to address it. People need to work harder. People need to extend themselves. It's again about talent and grit. What the Spirit says is when we are transformed by the gospel message of Jesus' life, our life naturally becomes about others. It naturally reflects who Jesus is, which is this person that gives life, that gives hope, that gives healing. And that's the power of the Spirit. The Spirit blind, or Success blinds us, but the Spirit reminds us. This morning, I want you to think about your need. Do you have a need for God? Or are you perfectly fine making it on your own? Are you thinking, I've never experienced God, so I don't need him? I've never had an encounter with God, so I might as well just continue living my life because I can handle it on my own. That mindset often restricts our need for God, often restricts our experience of God. So this morning, music team's going to come up briefly, and I'm going to pray for you. Because as an American that's received a college degree, a graduate degree from a family whose father never made it past ninth grade, never got a GED, I can look at my history and say, I can do this on my own. I've got this. But that's not the reality that's before me. I failed enough to know that I don't have this under control. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we ask for your spirit this morning. Lord, that those who know you would be reminded of their need for you. That it's not about how much we know or what we do or the good deeds that we perform, Lord. It's about your decision to choose us, your decision to love us. We don't earn that. Just like a child doesn't earn his parents' love, Father. Remind us of our need for you. For those that don't know you, haven't experienced you, Lord, I pray that there would be a softening in their heart, that your spirit would move in them, that they would be open to the idea that you can positively and powerfully impact their life. Make yourself known this morning. May your spirit come down and give us life. May we experience something that we could never do on our own. Thank you for the life change that you've made in me, Lord. Help us in our process of living. Help us in our process of interacting with others. Lord, help us to fulfill the plans that you have for us, the goals, the dreams that you see in us. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.